Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Good morning, Crosspoint. Uh, good morning, and uh, it's good to be with you again this morning. Uh, my name is Chris, uh, and I don't feel like a guest speaker anymore. I'll just tell you that. Uh, I think I've been here enough to say that I feel like a little bit of a, a family or friends. So is that okay if I can claim that this morning? Yeah, good. Um, because as a friend or as family, uh, sometimes we uh, have to be vulnerable with people. So, if I have your permission, I would like to be vulnerable with you this morning. Is that okay? Share one of my. My, my deepest, darkest secrets with you. Is that okay this morning? Everyone's like, oh no, what's going to happen? Well, I want to share with you uh, one of my most valuable possessions. Uh, something for me that has been, uh, how can I say, uh, just a real emotional support in my life. Uh, this thing has been uh, with me in the highs and in the lows. Uh, it's not expensive at all. It only cost me a few dollars. I bought it about seven years ago, so it's probably my longest possession that I've owned. Uh, and this is it on the screen. Yeah, this is my blue tank top. And uh, this is one of my favorite, probably the most favorite pieces of clothing that I own. Um, it has been with me through some amazing moments. It, it was with me as I was writing this message. Uh, anybody have one of those pieces of clothing that just you have to wear when you go home because it then makes you feel more comfortable when you're at home? You know what I'm talking about? You've had a long day and then you have to put on that piece of clothing. And you're like, ah, oh, I can relax now. I'm at home. Well, this is my tank top. I wear this probably two or three times um, a week. Uh, it then gets washed, but then, you know, it always has that permanent smell now. You know what I'm talking about? That permanent smell where you like you wash it multiple times, but it just still smells the same. Um, but I love this tank top. And I, I figured out, I was like, I wonder if there's any photos of me in this tank top. So I went back deep, back into the realms of Facebook and tried to find some old photos of me and some memories that me and this tank top have together. So here's the first one. And um, this is right back in the original days in its full form where it fully fitted. It wasn't sagged. It wasn't, uh, I didn't have any stains on it. This is me in the tank top just breaking a stick together in the wild. Just having some adventures. Okay, here's the next one. Here's me in the tank top with my brother in Spain in 2014. Yeah, we went on holidays together, me in the tank top. Uh, here's the third one. Yes, this is me celebrating Scotland scoring against England in the soccer game. And uh, we have experienced some amazing sporting moments together, me and the tank top. And I bet you this morning you're going, you're really passionate about a tank top. Why are you so passionate about tank top? You would even be like, um, I don't think I could even sell you this tank top. I don't know if you'd even want to buy this tank top off me. You're like, that is a very um, interesting possession that you own, but you can keep it to yourself. And you'd be wondering, why am I so passionate about this tank top? And this is what I want us to, to, to embrace this morning as we ask this question of how valuable are you in this? Value is often so illogical. And the things that we love and how much we love them sometimes make absolutely no sense to anybody else but you. 
So this morning, we're going to be talking about and exploring this idea of illogical value through the eyes of Jesus. Um, and when he gives the reasons for the people that he hangs out with and why he hangs out with them. Uh, you may know uh, that Jesus was prone to accusations and to social slurs because of some of the people that he chose to socialize with. Uh, and because of the culture that he found himself in, a rabbi, a teacher, a spiritual leader was expected to hang out with people that would either elevate or maintain their social status. But Jesus, on the other hand, does quite the opposite. And he hangs out with people who he gets accused of being like because he is with them. And so this morning, we're going to be reading in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 15, uh, verse 1 through 10. Uh, and before we do that, let's just pray, and then we'll jump into God's Word. So let's just pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is alive. It's the book that breathes. It speaks to us every single day. We thank you that we can learn and know and experience you and know more about ourselves uh, through reading your word. And we pray this morning you will speak to us. You will um, even use my words this morning to speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so we're going to be reading Luke 15, verse 1 to 10. So if you have your Bibles, um, feel free to swipe them open or turn them on or open them up. I like the analog version usually because it doesn't die. Um, and so uh, get your Bibles out and we're going to read this together, Luke 15, verse 1 to 10. And, and we're going to be particularly focusing on the second part of this scripture this morning, but I wanted to read both of them because I think it's important we do that. So let's read this, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And we're going to read verse 8 to 10. This is where we're going to be um, focusing on this morning. It says this, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so this is God's word to us. And this morning, we're going to be exploring this idea of the coin. Um, on the screen, you're going to see an ancient coin. This is one of Caesar's coins. Do you know that Caesar was the first person to put his own mugshot on a coin? He was the first person to say, I want my face to be on money. Uh, and he did this out of a number of reasons. One of the reasons was that it was self-propaganda to show that he was very powerful. He had the most power, but also out of value. He, he wanted to, to put his value mark on things. So this cost this amount of things. And he put his own mugshot on a coin. And it's really interesting today in how we evaluate the price of ancient coins. Do we have any coin collectors in the room? Oh, we do. We didn't in the last service, but they all turned up for the second service. Um, and so how you value a coin is really interesting. There's a couple of things that make, uh, that, that we need to know when we examine how expensive or how valuable a coin is. And the first thing is this, the condition. The condition of the coin. So how does it look? Can we still see the original engravings? If we were looking for this coin on the screen, can we still see Caesar's face? Is there something that we can see? Is it, does it look clear? Does it look good? Has it held its shape? 
So the condition. Second thing's this. Rarity. How many of these coins are in circulation? The fewer, the better if you want your value to be higher. And the third thing is demand. Do, do people actually want the coin? More demand, the better. Now, let me ask you this question. What do coins do? In and of themselves, what do coins do? They just do this. <laughs> they just like sit in your pocket or, or, or they sit in your little like cup compartment in your car. <laughs> they put them in your trolley so you can get some groceries. Like, like in and of themselves, coins do absolutely nothing until somebody uses them. And so this morning you may be wondering, Chris, why are we focusing on coins and, and why does Jesus use this parable to explain to us something? What's he doing with coins? Um, and so that's what we're going to be looking at. And I want to, to say this first thing, that the coin in itself has intrinsic value. See, as we said, ancient coins, they bore the symbol, they bore the image of the reigning emperor. And did you know that you and I bear the image of the forever reigning emperor? Uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, says this. You've probably read this before, but let me read it for you again. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This phrase, the, the image of God, is, it comes from this Latin phrase, imago Dei. It, it means basically that we bear God's image, but we also bear his nature. We bear God's image and we bear his nature. See, you are valuable to God, not because of anything you've done, but because you are made in his image. So let me ask you this. If we were to evaluate our value, like we determine the value of ancient coins, question number one, what's your condition? What's your condition? Well, Genesis 1 tells us your condition is you're an image bearer. That's what your condition is. You still hold the image. You're made in his likeness, in his nature. You have your shape. You still have your engravings. Nothing on you, not even sin, can remove the image of God on your life. Yes, we may sway from the likeness. <laughs> I know I do. I sway from the likeness of God's character, who he is like. But we still bear the image. Question number two, rarity. How rare are you? How many of you are in circulation? One. You are a unique person. You have been made one. There is no one else who's ever walked this earth who is you. You've been made unique. You are completely rare. Third thing, demand. Are you wanted? Well, we're about to find out. And I'm just going to throw in this fourth one that I didn't say earlier on. And you can take it as you want. I'm not going to put any teaching points on it. But coins are also measured by their weight. Let's have that one. Um, <laughs> second thing is this. The coin is not easily found. But the search is relentless. It says in the passage, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? I think sometimes people feel that God has given up on them. You may feel like God has given up on you. I, I have the privilege of getting to work with students uh, ages like 12 through to 18. 
That is my, my day job. That's what I do. And I meet a lot of kids who feel like people have given up on them. So they feel like maybe their parents have given up on them. Their friends have given up on them. Um, maybe their sports coach has given up on them. They, feel, they then feel that God has also given up on them. Maybe they've went too far. You know, they've, they've sinned too much. They've done too many things that have marked them so that God has given up on them. And I want you to hear this really clearly. God does not know how to give up. He does not get fatigued. He does not get weary. Sometimes we portray our own ways of doing things and our emotions and our feelings on how we think God would also operate too. And it's amazing that scripture tells us he operates in ways that we do not think or comprehend. But he is a God who does not get weary. He does not get fatigued. He does not get tired. He never gives up. And I love this. The woman likes the candle and she starts to search the floor. Now, Picture in your head what an ancient home would have looked like, an ancient Jewish home. She likely had one space, and the floor was this concretey, rocky, um, broken floor, and it had lots of little cracks in it. And so what she did is she takes a candle, and she lights it, and she goes down to the floor, and she starts to look. But what she doesn't do is what I thought she would do, is that she just uses her eyes, right? You think she just open your eyes and just light your candle and have a look, but she gets a broom out. So in one hand, she's holding the, the light, and in the other hand, she's holding a broom, and she's just sweeping. Now, why do you think she's doing this? Why do you think she doesn't just use her eyes? Why do you think she starts to sweep? The likelihood is if the coin is caught in a crack, if it's in a little crevice, she's not going to be able to see it. But what she's doing is she's carefully trying to listen to the sound of the broom, just try and grab the coin. And so she's hearing the shh, shh. And, and what she's looking for is that sound of the silver hitting the concrete. Oh, there's my coin. And I think this is the way that God diligently and carefully seeks after you. You are in high demand. Your condition is an image bearer. You're extremely rare. There is only one of you and you are in high demand. See, God carefully and diligently seeks after you. That's what we've just shared in the communion meal. We've shared that in the communion meal, that, that Jesus was sent, that, that God sent his one and only son, that you could have life in its fullness through him, through his death and his resurrection, which means that God, an infinite being, would die for you, which means the infinite price that was paid. That means your life has got infinite value. Do you see that? That a God who is infinite would take the place of your life and give you infinite value. Um, when I was younger, uh, I, I played a lot of soccer. I still do play a lot of soccer. It's also called football. Um, that's what we call it in my home country. Um, but I played soccer, a lot of soccer. Now, I play quite different today than I did when I was younger because now I, I actually run. I was really lazy as a kid. Um, I, I was one of those kids that kind of like, I had skills but no ethic. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, I would get the ball and do all my fancy things, but I didn't want to run. Like, I didn't want to chase after the ball, run back and defend, you know, help my player. I was a, a bit of a lazy player. And I remember growing up, my dad would come and watch every single game. And so we would play usually Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. And in Scotland, it was uh, always raining. Just it rains a lot. And so he would be there, he'd have his jacket on, his coat on, and he'd be, and he'd be shouting on the side of the touchline. He'd be like, come on, Chris, you can do this. Come on, Chris, get the ball. Run. Run. Run, son. 
Would you move your legs? And and he'd be, he'd be cheering me on. He'd be, you got you got this. You got to score. Come on, son, you got this. And he'd be cheering me on. And I remember there was one year. I was about twelve or thirteen years old. And it was the year that they were giving out the Player of the Season awards. And, and somehow that year I managed to win. So I must have run like a little bit more that year. I don't know what, I don't know what made me stand out. Um, but my dad was told just before, by the way, Chris is going to win this year. And uh, just, just be ready for that. And so he was excited, but he didn't tell me. And, and it was the end of our training session. And they, they lined us all up. And they said, we're going to give her the awards out for this year. And the winner of Player of the Season this year goes to Chris. Uh, and I was like, oh, and, and, and the video shows that I looked really embarrassed. Like, I kind of like received it as if like, yeah, I knew I was going to get this. But inside, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so cool. Um, but my dad is like, yes, son. Come on, son. That's so great, son. And this is how I imagine God in our lives and God in your lives. I imagine him as a father who runs down the sidelines and is cheering you on. And, and it's illogical. Sometimes you're not even running. Sometimes you're the worst player on the team. And he's still like, come on, you got this. I believe in you. I love you. Come on. You got you're his kid. You are his kid. And his love for you is often so illogical. It does not make sense to us, but it makes sense to him. And this is the third thing I want to just say about this scripture. The coin is lost, but the image isn't gone. It's evident from the passage. She's, she's got these 10 coins. She loses one. She has nine and still in her purse, and, and she has one that's somewhere in her house, and the coin is lost. But the image on the coin is not. The, the, the image on the coin is still there. The coin still bears the image, and the value of the coin is not decreased because it's lost. There's an amazing story in, in John, uh, the end of John 7, start of John 8. Um, and the Pharisees, they bring this woman to Jesus, and she's been caught in the act of adultery. And they bring her to Jesus, and they say, hey, we found this woman, and, and she's been sleeping with some, some guys. It's not her husband. And, and you know what the law says is we're to, we're to stone her to death. And should that, is that what we're supposed to do? And, uh, and they bring her. And what they do is they're starting to judge her value in accordance to what she's done, not who she is. And so they bring her to Jesus, and, and, and Jesus, uh, he says a few things to her, but he does something that's very interesting to me. And so as he said a few things to her, he, he actually gets down into the ground, and he starts to write in the dirt. Now, some people are like, imagine, what, what did Jesus write? Like, what did he do? Like, what did he say? Like, this is really interesting. Um, but something that I find so intriguing about this is the last time that God put his finger in the dirt, he made man and woman in his image. The last time that God put his finger in the dirt, he made man and woman in his image. And I think Jesus, in part, is saying, she is still in my image. She is still valued. Her value does not change regardless of what she's done. She is still an image bearer. She's intrinsically valuable. Yes, her likeness may have deterred. Her value has not. Uh, I love what happens when this woman um, <laughs> finds her coin. Okay, so she, she finds her coin. She's been sweeping. She hears it carefully and diligently. She's sweeping, and she, and she finds the coin. She hears the noise. She gets her coin, and she's ecstatic. She, she's found it. And what she does is she decides to throw a party. She throws a party because she found her coin. Uh, and what doesn't make sense and what's completely illogical is she's probably going to spend more on the party than she does the finding the coin itself. Right? So she finds her coin and then goes, I'm going to spend my coin to have a party. Um, and I'm, you're, you're like, what? That doesn't make sense. It's very illogical. kind of follows the narrative of the story. But could you imagine receiving the invitation for this party? 
So when we receive invitations, there's certain things on invitations, right? Uh, so, when, so when Steph and I got married, we sent out invitations, and it said uh, to so-and-so, insert the name. Um, this is an invitation from Chris and Steph, uh, and the occasion, our wedding. Um, please give us money. Um, and so that was the invitation, uh, and you receive an invitation, and you're like, oh, that's super nice. Can you, so imagine receiving this invitation. I'm going to call this woman Dorothy, because I... She just gives me Dorothy vibes. Um, and so you receive this invitation from Dorothy. It says, to insert your name. You have been invited by Dorothy to a party. Lovely. I love Dorothy. She's lovely. Occasion. Found a coin. Okay. Found a coin. That's the occasion for the party. Is Dorothy Okay. Shall we call someone to check if Dorothy's okay? She's throwing a party because she found a coin. That seems rather bizarre. But see, I think actually what we can see in the story is sometimes we do this too. See, sometimes we forget to celebrate the one. Sometimes we, we don't know how to celebrate well. We, we, we go, the party invitation has come, but do we actually receive it? And see, what's happening here is that she sends out the invitation, and she invites her neighbors, she invites her friends, she just invites anybody to celebrate because she found the one. And sometimes we ask the question, I know I ask questions, we're going to ce celebrate one person? We're, we're going ce to spend how much on that person? We're going to have a party for what reason? And imagine what it would look like if every single one of us, when we received the invitation to the Lost Coin party, were like, awesome! I'm there, RSVP, first in line. Let's go. It's party time. And see, what God is saying and what Jesus is saying in this passage is every single time someone of value comes back to God, repents and gives their life to him, the angels have a party. Like, did you know this? There is a celebration party in heaven. I imagine there's a DJ. I imagine there's food. I imagine there's, I imagine like it's a real good party because I think angels throw good parties. And this is what happens every single time someone of value comes back to God. Did you notice that the value of the person has not changed? And see, sometimes we think the value on our life is because Jesus saved me. So that's how I get my value. And that's not what scripture says. Scripture says your value becomes, becomes because you're an image bearer of God. And because you're an image bearer of God, Jesus is sent. And I think sometimes we put our value of ourselves and others in, in that mindset where we go, oh, that person doesn't know Jesus, so maybe they don't have a great value. Or that person thinks different than me. Or that person disagrees with me. Or that person, I just don't like them. Or their political views or their views about this, this, and this. Well, and we devalue. But what God is saying is regardless of anyone's situation, regardless of anyone's life, regardless of anyone's condition, Jesus brought the woman who had adultery and said, she has value. Regardless of your sin, you are still an image bearer of God. You remain in his nature. He, he formed you. He knows you. The Bible says that he knew you prior to you being in your mother's womb. He knows every hair on your head. His love for you is completely illogical. It does not make sense. It can never be fully quantified in numbers. Your value is intrinsic because just like the coin, the value is determined by the creator and the creator determines your value priceless. Priceless. 
Your value is priceless. I just want to sit in this for a moment because I think sometimes we regard our value to the things we do or the things we own or the people we are. Or, or maybe we regard our value to, to, to what we've done or, or our kids or, or, or where we live. But our value has nothing to do with any of that. Our value is to do with we are an image bearer of God. God has created us intrinsically valuable, you and I. And I want to slowly land the plane with this. If we know this, if we know that we are valuable because of nothing we've done, but all because of what he has, then how do we show that value to others? How do we treat others with that value? Let me just give you a bit of advice here. If you really want to annoy God, <laughs> devalue the things he values. If you really want to annoy God, devalue the things he values. Have you ever told a parent that their kid sucks? <laughs> Just think about this for a moment. Like, have you ever said anything bad about a kid to their, uh, <laughs> to their parent? Like, imagine the parent. My, my wife teaches dance, uh, and sometimes she has to tell kids that they're, like, not quite ready to, like, go on point yet, like, which means they can't go up a level in dance, that they, they can't go to the, just because they're not good enough yet. And usually the kid kind of gets it, and they're like, yeah, I know, like, I'm not quite there yet. But the parents? Oh, parents. Parents of kids that compete in things? <laughs> tell a kid, tell a parent that their kid is not quite there yet, and look at the parent's response. Now, if you want to know how to devalue, if you want to know how to annoy God, devalue the things he values. But I want to advise you, don't do that. How do we actually value others the way that God does to us? And I've got just 10 quick things I want to tell you. Just 10 quick points of how you can maybe value people a little bit better. And it's been really helpful for me to actually process through this too. Um, this is the first one. Offer encouragement. Whether it's to the waiter who accidentally got your meal wrong or um, that passive-aggressive relative that you have, um, a kind word can turn away anger from both parties. Offer encouragement to people. Second, smile and take time to ask, how are you? And not just the classic Canadian, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. Like, like, actually ask them how they're doing. We live in such a fast-paced world. Such a fast-paced world. Even in a pandemic, things still feel fast. Investing a little time into hearing someone's story values them. Third thing, give the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume. Ask yourself, do I know this for sure? Don't assume the worst of others or their ill intent towards you. Number four, give of your resources. Be generous, especially to the people who cannot repay it. Especially the people that can't repay it. Number five, ask questions and listen well. Often when we know more about a person, we can offer more grace and compassion to them. Number six, offer to help. Instead of getting mad about someone inconveniencing you, offer to help by assisting or teaching. Number seven, be honest. Jesus was full of both grace and truth. I'm going to say this line slowly. Gracious honesty values others because it looks out for others' long-term good. We're not about just quick fixes. It's the long-term good. Number eight, serve without being asked. If you see a need, just meet it. You'll show others around you that you see their needs above your own. Number nine, I like this one. Invite. Pursue and invite others 
revealing to them that you value them enough to think about them and create space for them in your life. What if we had more parties like Dorothy people? What if we invited more people? And I know it's really hard in a pandemic right now to do some of these things, maybe. But how do we invite people into that celebration? How do we invite and celebrate the one? Number 10, be patient. Patience offered to your your siblings, to your parents, your friends, others. It, It shows that you value someone over and above your own schedule. How do we value people? Do we value people the way that we've been told that we are valued by God? Um, I want to end with this quote here, and I love this quote. It's by a guy called Pete Hughes, the pastor in, in, in London. He says this, The mission that we have been entrusted with, so the church, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, the mission we've been entrusted with is not about adding value to something worthless, but restoring value to something priceless. Let me say that again. The mission we have been entrusted with is not about adding value to something worthless, but restoring value to something priceless. You are extremely valuable. Your condition is an image bearer. You are rare. There is only one of you. And you're in high demand. High demand. Demand that God would send his one and only son for you. If you were the only person on this earth, God would do it again just for you. He loves you so much. And that love is so illogical sometimes, just like my tank top. (laughs) Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And actually, it's okay that we don't understand that it doesn't make sense sometimes. But we need to know that it is true. And if, if this morning, whether you're in person or whether you're online and you and you've had those feelings of that, where is my value? Do, am I valued? Do, 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 does anyone care? Like, what makes me valuable? You need to know this. This is truth straight from Scripture that you are highly valuable because of nothing you've done, which is awesome. Because if it was something we've done, then we all have to work at it. But it's nothing we've done. It's because He has made us in His image, in His nature, in His likeness. Your likeness may get tainted, Especially when you start to devalue others or devalue yourself. Your likeness can be tainted, but your image remains. You're of intrinsic, infinite value to God, and he loves you. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it tells us truth. We thank you that you value us so deeply. God, even in this moment, would you... Remind us again afresh. Remind us again that you value and you love us. And sometimes it feels so illogical. It does not make sense. But God, you've said that we are in good condition because we still bear the image. We bear the image of the king. That we are extremely rare. There is only one of us. And that we are in high demand. that you would go to the cross for us, that an infinite God would face death for us. And God, we, we love you and we, and we thank you. And God, we know and, and speak to ourselves again that God, we are valuable. 
our life has value, it has purpose, it has meaning. And God, help us in the moments where we forget that. Help us in the moments where we devalue ourselves or maybe devalue others. Remind us again that we are people who have been called valuable to the King. And we thank you for this truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.